Okay, thanks, Brian um, and Lisa and uh, everyone, and thanks for having me uh, again. When Sophie said we're embracing awkward this morning, I felt right at home. I've never felt so welcome. Uh, spoke right to my heart, Sophie. Thank you. Uh, and that's not just to do with this strange technology uh, setup. It's just me in general. But um, I'm going to set myself the challenge of bringing six bits of good news in the first minute of uh, this talk, if I can. So, uh, nerds, start your stopwatch. Uh, what an amazing thing to know that Jesus is King. And I love how Richmond Baptist has a way of just naming that and in, in, in part of your prayer is to say, is, is to uh, name Jesus as King Jesus and to acknowledge that. That's, that's powerful, that's fundamental, that's uh, absolutely core and is very, very good news. Uh, one thing to say that Jesus is, uh, is King to be able to say that Jesus is my king, to say that Jesus is our king, is one of the most powerful and freeing uh, things that we can uh, do. That's uh, that's incredible. Do you see the progression from acknowledging that, that Jesus is a king, uh, that Jesus is Lord generally, to be able to say, perhaps in our own baptism, uh, and every day that Jesus is my king. Uh, what a thing to know that God is Father. It's a third uh, thing. God is not a force. God is not a set of cosmic rules. God is not some broken machine up in the, the, the sky somewhere. Jesus says fundamentally, no God is Father. That's a powerfully good news. And then, of course, to personalise that, what, a, what an amazing thing to be able to say, God is my Father and God is our Father. That's four. Let's put those things together then. If, if, uh, if Jesus is King and God is Father, you know, we are family together. And this means we have this good news of calling each other brother and sister, which is like a weird old Christian tradition that I think should come back. That we remind ourselves that we're bound together in the family uh, of God, which is just this mind-blowing thing. It has masses of consequences, uh, which are good. Some of them are hard, amazingly good. But you bind all those things together, and it really means that we're royal family uh, together. And then that blows your minds again. So not only should we call each other brother and sister, you know, prince and princess that might sound weird as well but maybe it would remind us of our identity and this the size of the good news that we've got don't know how i did it fitting that into a minute uh, or not but this touches on what this series is about that uh what it means to be the people of god to be the royal family uh, of god and how that changes uh everything and in the uh series so far and especially what melinda took us through uh, last week we looked at these distinct practices and rhythms that we see right back in Acts chapter 2 which are incredibly powerful. The spirit of the living God has uh, poured out on these people and they are in the early days of discovering what, uh, what are, the, what are the, the meaning of all of this. And uh, these practices have devoted themselves to prayer, to the fellowship, uh, to sharing with one another, to generosity and the things that... Uh, uh, Melinda took us through uh, last week are incredibly powerful with figuring out what does it mean to be the people of God. Reminds me of a quote by the famous missional theologian Leslie Newbegin. He said, It is not the primary business of the church to advocate for a new social order. It is our primary business to be a new social order. And that's what we see forming here and rolling forward across uh, history. And as God continues to lead us into the truth of what it means to be the family of God, uh, we see this new social order uh, forming and we're caught up in it. And it's amazing. It's not the survival of the fittest. It's not the rule of the richest. It's not the circle of the smartest. It's people who are caught up together 
under King Jesus and connected to him as head and as Lord. And it's beautiful and powerful and unstoppable and it's, it's very, very exciting. Uh, it's so compelling. We see then in Acts chapter 2 what's happening. It's very compelling. People are wanting to be a, a part of this and finding out that by grace that they can be. And it says the Lord's adding daily to their numbers. Wow, it's amazing what's happening. First thing is that begins to unfold after this is they're beginning to say, how do we feed all these uh, people? There's a, this group is becoming larger and larger. and It's really exciting uh, when you're part of a church and new people are adding and nine people want to become members. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, this is a, a super exciting thing that's happening. What happens next? How does it roll forward? How does it go on? Because... Just when they're trying to wrestle through this question of how do we feed them all and how do we make sense and organise ourselves here is the Lord is going to add people. Is the Lord going to bring everyone, the whole world to Jerusalem to be part of this group and then boom, there's this persecution, there's a crisis. We find ourselves in a crisis right now, don't we? When the, the church wants to hang together and hold together and continue to, uh, to huddle and to love each other and then we're interrupted uh, by this. And God is using that. And part of it is moving people from addition to multiplication. And if you duck back to Acts chapter 1, you see it wasn't God's plan to bring the whole world to Jerusalem, but to bring his people to the world. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we're going to talk uh, together this morning about uh, how do churches grow. This is something I think deeply about. I had to as well. My, my role as church development facilitator for SA Baptist. I have to ask the question, what does it mean for a church to develop? What's success and uh, what does it look like? And that's led me down a, a, a weird uh, journey and I want to share some of that with you uh, this morning. And so I'm going to try and get the slide. We're embracing awkward here. Um, uh, let's begin with this uh, a deep truth of God's kingdom that just sits with me and it's kind of been my theme verse for a several years uh, now I'm still trying to uh, uh, to come to terms uh, with it all in John uh, chapter 7 this is how God has actually got bigger dreams for us than often that we we realize in John 7 Jesus stands up at the end of the feast and he, he in a loud voice he says if anyone is thirsty let them come to me and drink we might uh, be able to remember that verse. It's a nice little memory verse uh, as well. If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And we have a, we talk as Christians about being empty and being filled with the love of God, being filled with the Spirit of God. And we have this sort of verse in mind. But Jesus, that's not the end of what Jesus said. He went straight on. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And he says, anyone who believes in me, as, uh, as is written, streams of living water will flow from within them. Do you see that? If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Uh, whoever believes in me, stream, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. We sometimes have this little view of what who God is and what he wants to do. And it's about he, God wants to take me. I'm empty and he wants to fill me up with his love. He wants to uh, uh, give me enough to get me through uh, this week. And God's got bigger dreams uh, than that, not just... God doesn't want to take empty cups and turn them into full cups. He wants to take empty people and turn them into sprinklers, into a great blessing to all the people that are uh, around them. And for me, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing. Uh, it means what the Spirit of God is on about is about flow and not just about pooling uh, somewhere or in someone uh, as well. Uh, we often like to say, 
It's uh, not how much of the Holy Spirit that you have. It's how much of you the Holy Spirit has. It's an entirely different way of thinking about it. And that difference between wanting just to have our cup filled up or being turned into uh, sprinklers and seeking for the streams of living water to flow from within us is a difference between somebody who's got a shed down their backyard and decides that would be a really great place to stockpile toilet paper uh, <laughs> right now. Or the person who has a shed down the bottom of the yard and says, I'm going to go down there and tinker and see if I can manufacture some toilet paper or I'm going to manufacture, cook up some uh, uh, hand sanitizer and have enough for all the people that are uh, around me. It's an entirely different mindset of saying, what do I need? To saying, well, what does the world need and how can I be uh, a part of that? So God's got bigger dreams for us than often we think. Uh, and this is true for churches as well. And so let's think about the... Uh, I think it's in Mark chapter 11, a story you may well know of Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. He's going in towards the temple and he sees a fig tree and uh, he, uh, he uh, goes over to it. Now, I want to sort of stop there. This is touching on our imagination of what we think success is for churches. I think unless we stop and, and have a deeper theology of of what success is for churches, there's kind of default that everyone uses as a rule of thumb. And the two things that pretty much people are looking for is, that, is our church big or is it growing bigger? And is our church healthy? Don't know there's signs of life, is everyone being nice to each other and, and uh, the good things happening and, and uh, healthy processes and things like that. And they're good things to look for, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not against either of those things. But the weird thing is that Jesus goes over to this fig tree and it must be big because it says he saw it in the distance. And it must be kind of healthy because it was in full leaf. But it turns out that this tree that would impress anyone else, Jesus goes over and has a look at it and it doesn't impress him and he curses it. And the reason you may know for that is because it had no fruit. Which has got me thinking of what we're looking for is big churches, healthy churches uh, as well. Are we building churches that impress everyone except for Jesus? That'd be weird. So what does it mean to be a fruitful church? What does it mean for a church to bear fruit? Well, what makes a fruit a fruit? Uh, the gardeners or scientists uh, out there will say it's the seed that is in them. Fruitfulness is about reproduction. Fruitfulness is about multiplication. And... Um, in the parable that we just heard, where it says the seed that fell on the good soil, the message of God's kingdom, it says it, it, it for, you know, the good soil stood for those with a noble and good heart who heard the message. And what did it produce? What well, did it produce? An amazing, big, enormous tree, uh, something big and impressive. And no, no, Jesus says success here is in multiplication. It produced a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown and what's uh, here in success for the, uh, the, the kingdom of God. There's not one thing that is big and impressive, but this continual uh, growth and multiplication uh, that is going on. But so often when we think about how does a church grow and how does our church grow, how might our church grow as well, we think about addition. I've, I've heard it actually said that if you want your church to grow, here's basically what you need to do is make the front door of your church as wide as you possibly can, be as welcoming as you possibly can as a church and, and bring in as many people as you can and lock the back door and nailed off all side entrances as well so nobody can leave. It's basic maths. If people are coming into your church and joining your church and if no one can leave, it must be growing in numbers uh, then, mustn't it? 
So surely that's what church growth is all about. Although the, some of us are also thinking, that does just sound also a little bit creepy. Uh, the church is some kind of fish trap where you can swim in, you can't ever possibly uh, swim uh, out uh, again. Uh, there's something wrong with that picture, I think, because it has a mentality of trapping and it has a mentality of hoarding. So let's do a little bit of maths about this and look at two possible mindsets that uh, churches can have uh, about all of this. So uh, that sort of trapping people, keeping people, welcoming people as many, uh, as, as many as you can and trying to keep them busy and keep them amused and keep them entertained uh, so that they will all stay and no one will ever leave. I call that a retentive mindset. You've got to try and retain as many people as you possibly can. And uh, so uh, I'm not sure if you can see the whole screen there as well, but let's imagine a church that has this retentive mindset. It starts off as with 100 people. And let's say uh, that uh, by God's blessing and by uh, it's trying to do good work, it's trying to be a healthy church, it grows by 10 people each year. So if you were, uh, we might just pan the camera here a little bit. Uh, start with 100 people, grow by 10 each year. And imagine that that's what the trajectory of church that went on, and it went on for a hundred years like this. Now, those of you who are doing the maths at home on a Sunday morning, uh, as well, starts with a hundred people, grows by ten each year. A hundred years uh, later, uh, what's happened is the church has had to go through a couple of uh, building programs, uh, and it's built something like this, uh, a, a, a fancy auditorium, and. Uh, for those of you playing along at home, yes, the answer is it's got 1,100 people after 100 years. And it celebrates its centenary and remembers back to the time when it was just a little church of 100 people uh, as well. And it thanks God for the way that it's, it's grown. And maybe it looks down its nose a little bit at a church just down the road. Because let's talk about a different church. Just trying to get the slides to. Might need some help here. There's a church with a fruitful mindset, and perhaps it begins in roughly the same way. It's starting with 100 people and a church that grows by 10 people uh, each year. We want to have that front door open. We want to be sharing the love of God, and we want to be welcoming people into the family of God. I'm definitely not against any of that. But this church has got a different sort of rule of thumb, a different mindset. And uh, it says, it starts with 100, grows by 10 uh, each year. Just, there we go. And it has a rule of thumb that it says, you know what, when we get to about 120 people, let's take 10 of our best, 20 of our best people and let's send them out to start a new church somewhere. And we'll encourage them, we'll say, look, you know, do some good gospel work if we're, you know, in, your, in your area. Uh, seek God. We hope that you grow by 10 people each year. And it might take you 10 years then to get to 120 people. But we encourage you when you get to 120 people, why don't you do the same? Take 20 people and send them off to plant a new church. So 100 years go by and that church is celebrating its centenary. And uh, what happens? How many people are there for that centenary celebration? Well, probably 100 people, 120 people. Some people would look at that church and say, oh, nothing's really changed. That, well, that church isn't doing anything. A church consultant like, might, like me might come in and say, look through the statistics and say, this church is officially stalled. Uh, we need an intervention here. We need to, you know, what, what's, this church is not going anywhere, not doing anything. But I'm uh, hoping to give you, those who are playing along at home, time to do some of the maths. I'm wondering whether, uh, how many people there are uh, that have become disciples uh, in that church is not just in that 
building in that particular meeting, but because of what that church has decided to do? And the answer is, if I can get it on screen, 107 million uh, disciples. Uh, it's amazing. It's very different uh, to just growing by addition. It takes a different mindset, uh, a very different mindset indeed. Now, I was once uh, figuring out these numbers on an Excel a spreadsheet because I was sitting in the back row of a really boring talk and the talk wasn't finished. I'd say some of you might be able to relate, which is great. Uh, so I thought, oh, let's change the rules of this maths. You know, what happens if every church in that system, you know, only lasts for 25 years and then it dies? You know, it, it, it's planted, it spends 10 years growing to 120, and then it spends 15 years growing and sending and that sort of things, and then it finally has a fight about the curtains and uh, uh, <laughs> just disintegrates, everyone goes their separate ways. That number of 107 million plummets down to a mere 93 million uh, people. Uh, none of those churches being around for a centenary at all. And what I'm trying to say is it's not about us building our particular thing or building our particular brand. God does care about each individual church and what it does and its buildings and all those sorts of things. Again, I'm not against that. But it's not about making our little thing last forever. It's about the bigger thing that God is doing uh, in his kingdom. And so uh, what I'd like to do, uh, this is the difference then between a, a, a fruitful mindset, which is about training and and, and blessing and releasing and discerning what God is calling people to do, building them up and releasing them out to, uh, to do that, as opposed to uh, building a group bigger and uh, bigger and bigger. It's a different way of thinking about growth. So I want to leave you with four pictures. This is one of the ways that my brain works. I hope this will help be helpful for some of you, uh, again, to, uh, to challenge and to prov provoke and to think about what church growth uh, can really look like. And so the first is a picture of a university. That's Adelaide Uni, there we are, it's my old stomping ground uh, as well. And uh, if we think about a university, imagine a university where no one ever leaves. I mean, we all know some people who go to uni and never quite got out uh, as well. I see that hand. Uh, but that's the exception rather than the, the rule, isn't it? In a university, if no one's ever leaving, it can only mean one thing, and that is that everyone is failing. In fact, probably no one is failing more than the teaching staff uh, uh, in that. I heard a really interesting interview on the radio with the Vice-Chancellor of Adelaide Uni, and they, he said, uh, uh, you know, the, the ranking, the world rankings they have on uni and how uh, they, they count how many students you've got, how impressive your buildings and facilities are, uh, are your teaching staff, are they rocks, academic rock stars as well, how much money have you got for research endowments. And this, uh, the Vice-Chancellor said, yeah, those things are important, but that's not really what we, how we try to measure our success. And the interviewer said, well, how, what do you measure then? And he said, well, it's hard, but we try to track whether our graduates go on to do meaningful things with the degrees that they get uh, with us. Are they going on to do meaningful things in their life? I was driving along listening to this uh, radio interview, and I literally had to pull over to the side of the road and go, wow, that is so true about churches. We can get focused on, do they have nice buildings, great teaching staff, street teaching staff, do they, do they have enough money, is their budget in good, uh, good place, have they got lots of people coming along? Are we asking the questions, what are our churches producing, what is the fruit that is coming from them, and are the people that are caught up in a part of this going on to change the world uh, together under God as he is wanting, uh, wanting to do? So it's thinking about 
uh, perhaps church is a little bit like uh, like uni, which is slightly weird, I know. Uh, I think, oh, there we are. Church, uh, what about thinking about church as a launch pad? That's a picture of uh, a launch facility at Cape Canaveral, one of the ugliest buildings in the world. Uh, it's very functional, uh, isn't it? Weirdly, just one hour down the road is Disney World. These are both in Florida. Um, and I think about the distinction between uh, these, these uh, two things. Uh, sometimes we want our church to be like Disney World. Uh, everything in its place. It's an amazing experience for people to come to. It's kind of a destination. Do you know what I mean? You, you go to Disney World to go to Disney World. And you can say, I've been to Disney World. You don't go to Cape Canaveral to go to Cape Canaveral. You go to Cape Canaveral to go to the moon. And what would it be like if our churches, instead of each church trying to be an amazing destination as well, was a little bit more like a launch pad where we welcome people in and we say, we're so glad that you're uh, among us. And one of the things we want to do is build you up in Christ and discern together with you and with all of us what God's calling for us uh, is. And if it goes beyond uh, uh, this fellowship, we want to get you ready and launch you into it and bless and commission you uh, uh, to all of that. And... Uh, what does it mean to be a launch pad, not so much a destination? If right now some of you are thinking, you know what, yeah, we've been a little bit like that here at Richmond uh, as well. And we certainly know that uh, Mick and his family have headed off to West Beach and that Andrew and his family have gone off to, uh, to Broadview. I just want to cheer you on so much and say, exactly, this is a sign of a uh, fruitful church. And I know that there's uh, feelings of loss and, and longing that kind of go uh, uh, with that. Uh, but there's also, not just in sending pastors uh, uh, as well, uh, ways to say, you know, we were, we were been, a, been a part of that. And every good thing that happens down at West Beach uh, Community Church from now on, Richmond can kind of go, yeah, that's part of our doing uh, uh, as well. And you can follow our progress and keep praying for us. Uh, we really want that. And this touches, this third image here touches right back on what this whole series is about. What if you think of church as extended family? I know often we can think of church like a nuclear family. I've got, Kathy and I, we've got three kids. We all live under one roof and we try to keep them all together and safe and playing together nicely if we possibly can. And, and uh, that's our feeling. Uh, often when you still, you know, it's a battle we can cope with as parents. Sometimes when we just think of nuclear family. But of course, it doesn't stay like that forever. If, if you invite me back to preach in another 14 years uh, time, and I say, I'm married to Kathy and we've got kids and they're all sort of in their 30s. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, we all live together at home and we do their washing and do their, you know, dishes for them. And they're all a bit of a handful. They're really cheeky kids. You'd be looking at me sideways and kind of going, what's, a, what's, what's happening in that family as well? Of course, sometimes there's exception to the rule and there's reasons for uh, grown-ups to, uh, to live at home. That's all cool. But it's weird that in families, often it's the exception rather than the rule. The, the, the norm is for your kids, we grow them up and we get them ready to leave home and to start their own households. And yet in churches, it seems to be more the exception rather than the rule. What if it became the norm that we want to, to, to raise people up and to, uh, to encourage them to, uh, to go and start uh, more households in the great family, uh, family uh, of God and uh, to think more intentionally about that. It's amazing the thing that happens in kind of bigger families when the oldest one does leave home then everyone else sort of has to step up uh, a little bit. And the second oldest stands, takes more responsibility. And, and uh, there's a flow that goes with that. If the church's best guitarists uh, are leaving to go and plant a church, the church's uh, next best guitarist needs to stop sort of 
just admiring the best guitarist and say, wow, it's amazing what that person could do. I could never do that. Instead, if the best guitarist is leaving, the next best guitarist is instead, instead of just admiring, has got to say, hey, can you show me how to, uh, how to do that? Uh, I, I think I'm going to probably become the main guitarist uh, around here and so quick, while well, the time that we've got, can you teach me uh, some things? And there's a discipleship flow that happens when churches are not stagnant pooled, but the flow of God uh, happens with extended family. Okay, we've really done really well here. Just one last picture that I want to leave uh, with you, if I can bring it up, thank you. And what have we thought about church like boot camp, like getting ready to be sent? Imagine a boot camp where there's all that, there's a lot of fellowship that happens in boot camp, I imagine, never been, but I watched some movies. And, uh, you know, all that sort of uh, running together on big long runs, wearing the packs and eating together and all the things that you can't really do during a, a pandemic. Uh, and this tight-knit community, but it's all purposeful. It's been prepared uh, to, uh, to uh, be sent to the front lines. But imagine if word gets around in a, in a boot camp that there's not really any war and none of us are really being sent anywhere. Wouldn't we sort of slacken off on the uh, exercises? And just roll our eyes at the lectures and uh, and all the things that we're being taught. But there is a front line and God is preparing us to be sent. I just love this picture. I was Googling around looking for a picture of boot camp. And I saw this picture here where these soldiers are being uh, given posture correction. And of course, there's the, it's the cross that has been formed uh, uh, against the uh, the cross. Of, and I couldn't resist but to put this on screen and say, what, is it, what are churches? Is like boot camp when we are formed to the shape of the uh, of the cross and into the, the image and likeness of Jesus, which of course is an ongoing, uh, uh, never ceasing uh, thing, as we are prepared uh, to go. And that means, friends, that every Sunday counts, that every Wednesday night counts. Frankly, that every day counts uh, in church. Every message that you listen to, every Bible study that you join every um, huddle that you get into for prayer group and encouraging one another, every phone call that uh, you make, we're building one another up and preparing, uh, uh, preparing together for what God is calling us and sending us into. And so the kingdom of God and the church is growing, not just when people finally are commissioned to leave, but are growing inside of us uh, every day. And so I encourage you uh, in that to uh, keep going on the trajectory that uh, you're going. I love what I'm hearing about uh, Richmond Baptist and I pray God's rich blessing on you all uh, together as he does his amazing work in and through you. Amen. Let me pray. King Jesus, what an amazing kingdom uh, you have. What an amazing thing. Lord, if we were just given a chance to be have a seat, a quiet seat in the corner of your kingdom where we could just watch the amazing things that you do, that would be a grace, that would be more than enough. And yet you call us into the heart of what you are doing. You want your kingdom and your church to grow not just around us, but through us. And you call each of us to a really noble part to play in that. Some of us you are preparing to go and do different things in other places, and some of us you are, you are calling to stay here and to encourage and to build up others and to invest in others in children, junior youth and youth, uh, the phone calls that we make. Uh, Lord, may your spirit flow between us. Uh, may more and more we drink so deeply of, of you that indeed we are uh, like sprinklers, that streams of living waters flow among us 
and through us to others and so that your kingdom continues to multiply and grow and great, great glory comes to you. Uh, um, Lord, together we commit ourselves to what you're doing and just amazed by it and so grateful to play any little part uh, in the new creation that you are building and we, and we give you our deep and sincere thanks, Lord Jesus. Amen.